Before we get started with the message this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this awesome day you've given us. Lord, this chance, we have so many things to do, it seems like, but Lord, let us just take a moment just to, just to acknowledge your presence, just to acknowledge your goodness and your greatness in our lives. I know we face trials and turmoils and chaos, but Lord, you are faithful, you are good, you are gracious, you are merciful. Lord, I thank you for your holy presence in this place this morning. I thank you that family can gather together and be a part of children being dedicated to the Lord. Lord, I pray that the children will be blessed moving forward, that their families would be blessed. Lord, I pray over the message this morning. Lord, it's, it's a message that's going to stretch us a bit. Lord, I pray that we would, I would preach it with wisdom and that we would receive it with wisdom. Lord, that we would have ears to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we near the end of our study in Romans, I find it important today, and I want to say this, to remind you that the study of God's Word should not only be something that takes place on Sundays. Amen? The study of God's Word, and I know our lives are busy, our days get filled quickly, but I want to encourage you to just spend time in His Word. Spent some time in his word. Before I became a pastor, I would hear pastors say that the toughest part or the toughest toughest aspect of their personal life was spending time in God's word. I thought that was strange, but what they meant was this, that other than study or preparation time, other than study or sermon prep, spending time just in God's word, just to drink in God's word became difficult to do. Because really, and I find it a difficult one for me as well. When I read the when I read God's word as I as I'm reading, uh, man, I, I find a word and I want to do a word study, or I want to break that down and break that scripture down, and and so it's tough for me just to read the Bible and just to just to drink it in. I because I'm kind of like, oh, I want to look at this, and I want to have what is this? How does this relate to this? And that's just kind of how my mind works. But I have to keep in mind that while it may be difficult at times, it's important to sit and read and then to sit and pray. I want to encourage you to do that today. Amen? Some of what the Bible, uh, some of what's in the Bible, honestly, some, you might find it boring. How many ever read the genealogies? Yeah? He begat who? Who begat them and begat them? I, I don't, skip it. Ah, come on, man. You know what I'm saying? Skip You say, Pastor David, I don't understand this part. That's okay. My suggestion is pray before you read, and if you don't understand, come back to it later. Or if it's a genealogy, you say, well, what, is it? what does this matter? It actually, if you, and again, this is just kind of how it works. If you look at the genealogies of Jesus, you'll see some very interesting stuff. If you look, I believe it's in Matthew and Luke, if you look at the different genealogies and how it lines up. It's a really interesting study, but it's not going to be that way all the time when you look at the genealogies. Amen? If it's too much, come back to it later. I say that because I don't... We never want to get away from the habit of engaging with God. We never want to get away from engaging with what God has written for us and to us. The Bible is His words to guide our lives. Amen? How many are ready to have their faith stretched this morning? How many are ready to have, I mean, 
you know, we, we talk about what the motto of this church is or the theme is where people are loved and faith is grown. Amen? We're going we're gonna to have some growing pains this morning a little bit. We're going to have some things stretched this morning. For those who are new to the church or first time here, you've never seen me preach before, I have a different kind of style. How many know I have a different kind of style? I'm just a different kind of guy. Some guys, some, some pastors, and this is okay, it's just different styles. It's not wrong or anything like that. But some stay behind the pulpit and they, they don't move and they're very stoic and, and they, they preach the word and that's it. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that style. My style is different. I like to move around. I like to talk to people. Carol, how you doing? I like to pick on people. Carol, how you doing? Yeah. We, we want to have fun in this church. We want the Word of God to come alive for us in this church. Amen? In reading Romans 14, in getting into we've now gone, we're at the 14th chapter, we've gone one chapter for each sermon in Romans, there's 16, and this, we are now in the 14th, we are nearing the very end. And it says this, Receive one who is weak in the faith. Hmm. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Now, there are some who make, take offense to the language that Paul is using here. What does it mean to be weak in the faith? What does it mean to be weak in the faith? Does it mean that some, they are less saved or somehow less righteous? No, of course not. It doesn't mean that at all. What it means is simply this. There are some who are mature in the faith and some who are immature, meaning that they still need to grow in their faith. It's not a knock. It's not, oh, they're weak and this person is strong. It's a matter of maturity. There are some who are mature in areas that others are immature in. Amen? You might be mature in one area, but immature in another area. There are some people who are, who are all around mature. Where's Bob Williams? Bob Williams, due to life experience, let's say, you have a mature faith. Amen? There are some certain people who just have a mature faith, but there are some who have an immature faith. What are some reasons a person may be considered weak in their faith? I like uh, David Guzik. He uh, has a great commentary, and he lists four reasons that someone may be weak in their faith. One is this. They may be a babe in Christ meaning they're just recently come to faith. They, they haven't been a Christian for very long. The second is this. They may be sick or diseased by legalism. Uh-oh. They may be sick or diseased by legalism. It, what that, that means this. They appear to be strong, but it's religious rather than relational. They appear to be strong. How many know people that appear to be strong, but it's religious, it's not relational? They don't have a relationship with Christ. They know the rules and regulations. They know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, but they don't have a relationship with Christ, and therefore they are sick and diseased. Three is they may be malnourished by a lack of good teaching. They haven't gotten enough meat in their diet. They're always drinking milk or water. The modern church has become a cesspool of bad doctrine and shallow faith. The modern church has become a cesspool of bad doctrine and shallow faith. The fourth reason is this. They may lack exercise. 
Why, why are some weak in their faith? Because they don't engage with Christ other than on Sundays. They don't engage with Christ and are therefore weakened. So we know that there are some who are stronger and some who are weaker. Paul says, listen to this, that we are not to push away those who are weaker, but we are called to receive them. Amen? We are called to draw them in. This brings up the great topic of what's called discipleship. How many ever heard of discipleship? Come on. I think today that many are confused about what discipleship is and what it means. Discipleship is not a small group or a program in the church. Discipleship, real discipleship, is the stronger or the mature reaching out and drawing in the weaker. It's the mature pouring into the weaker. We lead by example and engage in relationship. That is discipleship. We lead by example and engage in relationship. Paul says in verse 1 that we should not dispute over doubtful things. This is where many Christians get tripped up. This is where we become legalistic and likely become tribal. This is where we become tribal. You say, Pastor David, what does that mean? Oh, you're Pentecostal. Oh, I can't do I I can't I can't talk to you. I'm Presbyterian. We we have there's things that we disagree on. Oh, you're Methodist. No, no, I can't talk to you. I'm Baptist. You're in the I'm in the Baptist camp, you're in the Methodist camp, you're in the Pentecostal camp, they're in the Lutheran camp, and so we become tribal to where there's not a lot of fellowship among believers. We become tribal because of legalism. Paul, when writing this, he's writing to both, he's writing to seasoned Jewish people who have become Christian, and then those who are just new to faith in general. New to faith in general. He's not, 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 I mean, just no background of faith. The Gentiles. It seems that a few arguments have broken out among these believers as to what was appropriate in the faith versus what was not. What's appropriate in the faith? And what's not appropriate in the faith? He gives this example in verse 2 and 4 through 4. He says this, For for one believes he may eat all things. Say amen. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. For God is able... Paul understands that there were those who had accepted Christ, but they were still held to the traditions of the Mosaic Law or the Old Testament Law. Now, I want to say this. Christ came to fulfill the law. And in doing so, some of what was previously required, including dietary laws and whatnot, dictated the foods, these dietary laws, they dictated what they could eat and what they couldn't. Eat this, don't eat that. Plant, you, you can plant your farm this way, 
but not that way. You can wear this kind of clothes, but not that kind of clothes. These dietary and ceremonial laws, Christ came and fulfilled these laws. Christ came to fulfill the law, amen? And so some of the things in the Old Testament that were dictated are no longer required in Christ. For example, under Mosaic law, you could not eat bacon. I brought some bacon with me this morning. <laughs> Mike Schubert, I told you you were going to like this sermon. I brought some bacon. Why? Because praise be to Jesus, under the new covenant, I can enjoy what's known as meat candy. Amen? How many enjoy bacon? Steve Allen, I saw you raise your hand. You want some bacon this morning? You bet. Oh boy, Mike Schubert. You watched me walk right past it. Go ahead and take a slice there. Enjoy that. You have the freedom to enjoy that bacon this morning. Amen. Steve, you need a napkin? Oh, yes, you do. I just saw. Oh, you got one right there. That's all right. Now, here's the thing it would be just downright cruel of me to walk past Mike Schubert and not give him. The bacon. Unfortunately, I've already, I've already felt the Lord lead me towards Mike Schubert to give him this bacon. And here's a napkin for you. Thank you. We have freedom in Christ, amen? We have freedom in Christ to eat the bacon. Paul makes a point to those who are mature and aware of their freedoms in Christ that they should not look down upon those who only eat vegetables. How many know someone who only eats vegetables? They're vegan or vegetarian. (sighs) As difficult as it is, we should not look down upon those people who do not enjoy a good piece of bacon. Hey, let's, let's ask this. How many enjoy a good piece of bacon? Amen. Let me say it this way. God has received the vegetarian just like he's received the carnivore. Amen? I would describe myself as a carnivore. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Hallelujah? Can I get an amen? Come on. Indeed, Paul says it's not our job to judge them, but to love them and welcome them into the faith. Amen? It's not our job to judge them, but to love them. Paul then gives another example, and this may hit a little closer to home in modern Christian America. Verse 5 through 6a says this, One person esteems one day above another. Listen to this carefully. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Now, this is where we're going, to get, we're going to get into some stretching this morning. How many know in the Old Testament, you were commanded to keep what was called the Sabbath? Right? We're commanded, it's, how, how many know which commandment it is? Ha <laughs> ha, Gary. Anybody else? Is it four? Is that, a, is that a question or is that a statement? It is a question because it said, is it? Uh, It is four. It is the fourth commandment out of ten. It is the fourth out of 
The 15 Commandments. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, History of the World? Anybody? No? Okay. Uh, there's only 10 commandments, but guys, uh, don't, uh, don't go out of here thinking there were 15. There's only 10. It's the fourth out of 10. In fact, the Old Testament, it was sinful to carry anything on the Sabbath. It was sinful to carry anything on the Sabbath. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into which day is the biblical Sabbath. Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? We're not, we're not going to go into that. The Christian observance is that it's on Sunday because Christ rose on a Sunday. Right? And this is not the issue that Paul is addressing here anyway. When I was younger, I remember, how many remember, and maybe this is how it is for you now, uh, when I was younger, this is the way it was for me. Sundays very rarely included any aspect of what we would call fun. <laughs> Amen? How many know what I'm talking about? Nobody? Uh, come, let's be honest, how many grew up in a time where Sundays rarely included. I mean, there were times that we, you know, there were times we'd be on vacation or do something special. But mostly, here's what Sundays meant. Sundays meant getting up early. If I remember right, the church that we went to started at nine. How many? How many uh, want us to move the time that we start till nine? No, we start at ten thirty. You guys have enough time. I'm not gonna go into. It. We get up early, about nine. We'd have to be at church at nine. We'd, be, we'd go to church, we'd come home, we'd eat Sunday dinner, and then my parents would watch golf. And we, well, uh, we were told to be quiet. And if our noise level went above the voice of the golf announcer, then we were in trouble. If our phone rang on a Sunday, oh boy. If our phone rang on a Sunday, my dad would answer it, and if it was a telemarketer, he was in for an earful. Don't you work on it? Why are you working on a Sunday? Why are you working on a Sunday? If someone in the neighborhood mowed their lawn on a Sunday, that was bad. If they mowed their lawn on a Sunday, that was bad. But it also let us know that they weren't a Christian, so then we could witness to them. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm just kidding about that, by the way. But really, Sundays were off limits. Sundays, there was no fun, there was no noise. This is a special day. Now, I'm kind of having a little fun with this, but the question came up just like it did then. Are some days holier than others? Are some days holier than others? And Paul says this, says these words, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. What does that mean? It means simply this. It means this. Follow your conscience. Hmm. Isn't that interesting that Paul says, follow your conscience. He's, he says this. He doesn't, he doesn't side with anybody in the argument. He simply says, follow your conscience. Whether you observe a day as special or not, you should observe it to the Lord. That's what he says. Whether it's special or not to you, you should observe it to the Lord. Now, there are certain parts of the country and in certain churches with certain Christians from certain backgrounds that this teaching would be, and still is, very controversial. And why is that? Because many times, tradition dictates our conscience. Many times, tradition dictates our conscience. Paul doesn't say to follow your conscience in sinfulness. 
or to rely on our own thoughts in doing blatantly wrong things. He doesn't say that. But when it comes to the things that are doubtful or debatable, or what we would call matters of personal choice or gray areas, things that don't in, that they don't have anything to do with our righteousness. They don't have to do with our righteousness. They don't endanger our righteousness. We should in all things observe the Lord. Amen? Amen. In all things observe the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a day of rest. Paul's not saying that either, by the way. I'm not saying that uh, there aren't certain days with special significance. I'm not saying that at all. I like what one pastor said. He said the day of rest is a creation ordinance that should be followed for our health. Let me say that again. A day of rest is a creation ordinance that should be followed for our health. It's a good thing to have a day of rest. Where you rest, you recharge, and you reflect on God's goodness in your life. Amen? For many, if not most people, that day is Sunday. Right? For most people, that day is Sunday. It's the time that we take to, re- to relax, to rest, to recharge, and reflect. But for a lot of people, life doesn't allow them to take Sundays off. How many know that there are farmers out there right now working on the harvest? There are farmers during the planting season that, that, they, just, that they have to get it done. It's their livelihood. Are they in sin for working on a Sunday? No. It's their livelihood. Does that mean that believers who observe Sundays as a day of rest should reject believers who observe a different day? Of course not. And some would see this as a loophole for Sundays. Some would say, oh, great, Pastor David just said I don't have to come to church on Sundays. That's, that's what, uh, now, this, they, here's what happens. People fill their Sundays with work and sports and fun instead of a day of rest. That's what a lot of people do. And then they don't take a day of rest throughout the week. That's not the case that Paul is making here. And that's not the case that the Bible makes as a whole. Don't, please don't use this sermon as an excuse for why you don't come to church on Sunday. Don't use it for that. We observe this day as holy because we set it aside for coming together in worship and fellowship like the Bible directs us to. Amen? Maybe life simply doesn't allow during, maybe it's your job or just the season of life that you're in, that you're full of obligations. It doesn't mean that we should reject you or that you aren't welcome here or that when life becomes free again, we don't welcome you and give you a hug. Say, hey, we missed you. We're glad, we're, we're glad you're back. What I would say is that if Sunday can't be your day of rest, and I understand that's how it, just how it is for some people. If Sunday can't be your day of rest, make sure you get one throughout the week. Otherwise, you will burn out. Have a day of rest. Paul addresses these examples. He doesn't take sides. He says, let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Paul addresses these examples, and then he says this, Romans 14, 6b through 8. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. Whether he eats... Or doesn't he? For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. 
whether you eat or don't eat, whether you live or die, we are the Lord's. The case is made clear here and moving forward. There should not be disputes over gray areas or disputable things. Verse 9 says this, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now, we're going to break this down. I like how Paul emphasizes the point here. It says, when it comes to these matters, we should not judge one another. When it comes to these matters, rather we should be careful not to be a stumbling block to them. Amen? Uh, I preached a message, it's Romans 2, where we talk about, uh, if you go back in the series, Romans 2 talks about judgment and judging, but with righteous judgment. It doesn't say don't judge, it says judge with righteous judgment. So when we talk about judging and what judgment means, and actually the verse is found in Mark, but it's related to Romans 2. And so when we're talking about judging, Paul here is talking about judging other believers, about whether if, if they eat something or don't eat something, now you're judging them and saying, oh, well, they can do this, or they shouldn't do this, or they can drink that, or they can't drink that, or, or, or what. Now we're judging them without knowing really what their conscience is or what the Lord is directing them to do. I want to say this. When I was in college, uh, there was a young man who came in the middle of the year, and he was, uh, for the life of me, I can't remember his name, I wish I could, but I can't. I think it was like Wes or something like that. But he had just become a Christian a few months earlier. He had become a Christian and was so excited that he immediately wanted to go to a Christian college. And when he did, he found out that there was a lot of rules and regulations in Christian colleges. There's a lot of standards to uphold in a Christian college. He was very immature in his faith and didn't know and didn't observe a lot of the religi these religious rules. He didn't know a lot about them. He had, a, he had a lot of issues in his life that God was working on. But rather than recognize his weakness and love him anyway, other students and teachers and leaders, instead of welcoming him, they strangled his faith with rules and regulations. A few students, including myself, befriended him. We tried to offset the, the religion with relationship, and, but honestly, it just became too much for him. Here's how you have to dress. Here's, how, here's what you can listen to. Here's what you can't listen to. No, you can't do that. No, you can't eat that. You can't drink that. You, do, you don't do that. It's with sadness that I tell you that within a few months, he drove away from the college upset and angry at Christians who didn't who didn't see his immaturity and help him, but rather they judged and embarrassed him. I still remember the day he left. He cursed out the dorm director, left red-faced and angry. 
He made it clear he wanted nothing to do with them or their kind. Now, I want you to remember that story as we, remember, as we read what Paul says next. Go next slide. It says this, 14, verse 14 through 18. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. I like how the message version paraphrases this. It says this, If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat or drink or what or don't drink, you're no longer a companion to them in love. These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. That's what it says. Don't you dare. I think about that young man in college, and I'm grieved because I don't know what happened to him. To this day, I don't know. I don't know if he found good, true Christian friends that helped him grow, or he just did he just reject Christianity outright because some made their religious traditions his stumbling block. They made their religious traditions his stumbling block. I wonder, according to Scripture, how many of them are responsible for his soul. That's the weight of what Paul is talking about here. That's the weight of it. Paul is speaking to these Christians who have these disputes over food and holy days. And and while these can still be issues today, and, and some are, Some are not. Some are. Think about what other disputes have come up between Christians. When we think about what disputes come up, not between us and outside the church. Not between us and the secular world. What about disputes within the body? What are some disputes we have within the body? I'm not talking about clear-cut sin versus righteousness. I'm not talking about what's clear-cut. I'm talking about arguments over debatable things. How many remember the sermon I preached a few months ago on alcohol? Nobody remembers? Oh boy. That was a real popular one. I thought, well. I preached a message on alcohol, whether or not it's right for Christians to, to, to drink it. It's an interesting sermon. You should uh, listen to it on a podcast. It's a good one. I saw this guy, I saw him in church on Sunday, and boy, on the. Throughout the week, I saw him at the golf course and he was drinking a beer. I thought he was a Christian. Well, I thought that guy was a Christian. I can't believe he calls himself a Christian. That better be the Lord. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just a phone. Hey, how many, how, how many, how many know that as, as Christians, we, we uh, have disputes over what we wear? Yeah? How many remember women? How many women are wearing jeans this morning? My goodness, what a scandal. 
Uh, here, here's one. Here's one. You're wearing a hat in church? Are you kidding me? Are you? My goodness. You're wearing a hat in church. Are you kidding me? James, I like that hat. Amen. Hey, listen, I've been I've been in church services full of pastors that were wearing hats. People and some people have some people get really upset about it. Some people really close to me get, could get really upset about it. I'm not going to go any further with that. But that's the thing. It's our tradition dictates our conscience, right? And so we grow up in a place where we say, no, you can't, you can't wear jeans in church. Are you kidding me? You come on church, you come wearing your Sunday best, right? Here's, here's what was told to me. God gave his best. You better not do less than Whoa. Come on. Yeah. That was also what was used to, for the offering. Yeah. Yeah, there's the manipulation. Come on. God gave his best. Don't you do, don't you do less than. That's the manipulation. Hey, how about, how about this? Music style. Oh. Music style. How about rock and pop versus hymns? Whew. How many like me some Billy Joel? Come on. <laughs> don't you take away my hymns, Pastor David. Pastor David, don't you take away my hymns. I will leave this church and find a place that fits my style. Oh, now we're going to start stepping on toes here. Don't you take away my hymns, Pastor David. Pastor David, can you just tell them to turn it down? Can you just, I'm offended. How about chairs versus pews? Come on. I mean, disputes in the church. Let me tell you, for this sermon, I have considered getting a tattoo on my arm. Half considered. Come on. I never fully considered. Number one, my wife is here. She say, no way. Number two, needles, no way. Uh, I like what this commentary says. And some of my own is added to it. It says this. The strict Christian found it easy to judge his brother, writing him off as an unspiritual, meat-eating, beer-drinking, rock-music-listening, blue-jean-and-hat-wearing compromiser. The free Christian found it easy to show contempt against his brother, regarding him as an uptight, legalistic goody-good. Essentially, Paul's answer is this. Stop worrying about your brother. You have enough to answer for before Jesus. Amen. Amen. Stop worrying about your brother. You may think that's the end of the subject, but I'm about to throw you for a spiritual loop. Amen. How many, are, how many, how many want to get thrown for a spiritual loop this morning? I have, I have freedoms in Christ, Pastor David. Where's my hand? I have the freedom to wear my hat proudly. Has an American flag on it. it. Better be, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Paul ends the chapter this way. It says this. Therefore, let us pursue the things that which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify one another. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is neither good, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine or do anything which causes your brother to stumble or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. We're going to break this down. That was a lot of, that was a lot of words there, so let's break it down a little bit. Up until now, it may have seemed like a free-for-all. Right? Up until now, it's a free-for-all. Where's that bacon? Mike, you got any of that bacon left? Sorry. You ate it all right now? Steve, any of that bacon left? No? I knew there wouldn't be any left. That's all right. You, you, I, I don't, no, I don't need the crumbs from the bag. It's all right. I have the freedom, Pastor David. I can, I, I can wear, I'm not wearing blue jeans, but I, could, I, I thought about wearing blue jeans just for this, and then, uh, and then I thought better of it because of the dedication, and then that's just uh, how it worked. But I brought my hat, so that's okay. Pastor David... We have freedom. We have, we have freedom in Christ to do these things. We have to be careful. We have to be careful because it says, don't cause your brother to stumble by blatantly flaunting those freedoms in what may be a stumbling block for him. Amen? Yes, you have freedoms. But you have to be careful. We don't want to use the freedoms in front of those who are not free and risk offending them or causing them to stumble. Part of the hallmark of Paul's character and example is that even in his freedoms, there were times that he would shackle himself so he wouldn't cause others to stumble. Come on. There are times where he would hold himself back or hold others back in order to make sure they didn't cause people to stumble. Consider this. I like what this commentary says. It says this. Though Paul knew there was no salvation associated with circumcision. How many know what circumcision is? Right? Paul knew there was no salvation associated with circumcision. Nonetheless, he had Timothy, a preaching companion whose father was a Gentile, circumcised so as to not offend potential Hebrew converts. Timothy was going and preaching to the Jews. Timothy was not circumcised. For the Jews, it was a big part of their faith. So as an adult man, Paul says, yeah, you want to go preach to them? God bless you, man, but you better get circumcised. Just so that he could preach to people. Just so that he could share Christ with people. He knew there was, Paul knew there was no redemptive virtue in temple ceremonialism. Yet this happened. In the book of Acts, he yielded to a purification ceremony in order to defuse a situation in Israel that was pretty volatile. By the way, that act where he shackled himself, it cost him four years in prison. Four years in prison. The Apostle Paul openly affirmed his willingness to subordinate himself to the lesser with the knowledge that it's for the sake of their souls. That it's for the sake of their souls. I like how the message puts this. It says this. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to the others who are eating. 
Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Amen? My prayer this morning is that we would have both, that we would be able to both recognize the freedoms we have in Christ and lovingly recognize when to restrain our freedoms so that others can know Christ even more deeply. Amen? The point of our faith is that others would know Christ deeply. The point of our faith is we want others to know Christ deeply, right? That's how Paul ends this chapter, and honestly, it's how I'm going to end this sermon. Whatever is not from faith is sin. We should live, this is what it says, we should live according to our faith. You say, Pastor David, I have freedoms. Yeah, maybe you do. But if your freedom causes somebody to stumble, be careful. I have freedoms. I can eat what I want. I can drink what I want. I can wear what I want. I can do what I want. Be careful. Don't let your freedoms trip you up or trip someone else up. Amen? Amen. Let's... Lord, I thank you for those who are here this morning. For those who are going to listen maybe on podcasts, Lord, I pray that it would challenge them. Lord, I know that some of this stretches us a bit. God, I pray that we would get back into your word, that we would have relationship with you. That we wouldn't base our conscience based on traditions, but based on your word. We wouldn't live based off the traditions that we grew up in, that we would live according to your promises and according to your word. Lord, I pray over those who are here, I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. We love you. We will see you next week. God bless you.